Charlie loved critters. Critters big and critters small. Furry, fuzzy, and fluffy. Charlie had a pet chinchilla. It was very near and dear to his heart. This pet chinchilla's name was Houdini. And despite Houdini's elephant-sized ears, and despite his pudgy physique, Houdini was named Houdini because he had a knack for magically escaping the confines of his cage. Charlie loved critters, critters big and critters small, furry, fuzzy, and fluffy. But Charlie also loved critters slippery, slimy, and slithery. After months and months of saving up his chore money, and after he had somehow convinced his mom that getting a snake would be a good idea, they went to the pet store. At the pet store, Charlie picked out the perfect serpent, a peanut butter-colored West African ball python. Her dark blotches looked like drops of ink on a paper towel. She was perfect in every way. He named her Alice. At the pet store, Charlie's mom also found something perfect. She picked out the perfect enclosure, an impenetrable fortress of a terrarium. Nothing's getting in and nothing's getting out. Well, that night, as they returned home from the pet store, Charlie placed this impenetrable fortress of a terrarium beside his bed on his nightstand. So he could watch Alice all night long. And there across the room, Houdini, the chinchilla, was squirming in his cage. But Charlie paid Houdini no mind. His eyes were glued, fixed, fastened on Alice as she slowly glided her way across the terrarium's cocoa-pebbled interior. Next thing he knew, Charlie was opening up his eyes. He had fallen asleep sometime during the night, and it was the morning now. So he lifted his head up to gaze upon Alice, and his heart stopped. Alice was gone. In half a heartbeat, he burst into his parents' room and yelled, Mom! Alice is gone! The curling iron skydived from her hand. She said, she's what? Oh, yeah, my snake. She's lost somewhere inside the house. Tornado commenced. Drawers were thrown open. Every cabinet scoured. Every nook and cranny combed. At least mom had the sense to move Houdini in his cage outside. We don't want Houdini pulling any magical escapes with the snake loose on the house. But after hours and hours of searching, no luck, Charlie stepped outside, a defeated young boy. Only to find Houdini's cage 
with no Houdini. Alice was lost, nowhere to be found inside the house, while Houdini was lost, nowhere to be found outside the house. I want to welcome you to Journey the Church. My name is Jeremy Kays. I'm one of the pastors here. A very special welcome to you if, if you're new. Uh, there's a lot of great churches in Camarillo and Ventura County. Amazing, awesome churches. And we would encourage you to, to check them out. We, we here at Journey of the Church are, are not about our little humble abode being the ultimate church. We believe in the body of Christ. We believe in the kingdom of God. And so we partner with these churches. And we would encourage you to, to check out some of these churches. Find a place that you call home. But I must warn you, if this is your first time at Journey, how do I say this? We are an imperfect bunch. We've got issues. We have real life struggles. But despite our real life struggles, despite our issues and our imperfectness, We serve a God, a God who is faithful and willing to seek and save the lost. We serve a God who is strong and powerful to do what we might think is impossible. We serve a God who is compassionate and close to the brokenhearted, who saves the crushed in spirit. We serve a God who is worthy and deserving of praise, not just on Sunday. But all day, every day, we serve a God who welcomes tax collectors and sinners. People maybe like you, people like me. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, verse 1, it says, All the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. A word about tax collectors. A tax collector is not your first century form of turbo tax. A tax collector is not the nice guy who likes to help you with your taxes. No, a tax collector is the guy who works for the Romans, the occupying foreign power. He's the guy who skims off the top and overcharges you. And when you can't pay, he sends his big thug Bruno to come and break your kneecaps. Tax collectors were regarded as traitors to their own people, shady, unpatriotic, morally corrupt, ritually unclean outsiders. A word about sinners. The term sinners refers to Jews who didn't follow the traditions of the Pharisees and or those who flagrantly violated the moral law. We're talking about liars and Thieves and prostitutes, among others. Sinners were simply people who didn't really care. Weren't intent on following the law of Moses, that is, the law of God. Verse 2 says, The Pharisees and legal experts, those who were intent on following the law, those who did care about following the law, they were grumbling and saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is scandalous. 
The fact that Jesus welcomes sinners and not only welcomes sinners, but he dines with tax collectors and sinners. This is outrageous. In this day and age, in this culture, sharing the table meant sharing life. And who does Jesus here share the table with? Tax collectors and sinners, the outsiders. Now, the insiders, the Pharisees and legal experts are grumbling about this. And so Jesus responds to these insiders by sharing a parable. Today, we continue our summer sermon series called Parables. In this sermon series, we're exploring the parables of the Bible. Parables are stories used to illustrate a spiritual or moral truth. Oftentimes, the the parables in the Bible take an image, something from ordinary life, and use it to convey a message, some sort of spiritual or moral truth. Something like coins, sheep, goats, seeds, houses even. But what's so strange about parables is that Jesus, when he would share a parable, it would be often for the intention of splitting people. Splitting people apart, maybe even in their own hearts, to see, am I here just for the show and a piece of bread and maybe some fish? Or am I here to encounter the living God? Well, I hope that you're here today to encounter the living God. Because that's, that's what we're doing here. So I invite you to stand if you're able to stand as we read from our memory verse today. From Matthew chapter 13, verse 35. We stand here to revere the word of God. It says, I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. Today we are going to begin a two-part sermon. It will continue next week. We're going to explore a very common, familiar parable about coins and also about sheep. So two parables. Luke chapter 15 has three parables back to back to back. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the first two parables of Luke 15. And next week, we'll explore the third parable of Luke 15. So let's pray and ask God for his guidance. Father, we thank you that you are the king of all. That you are the Lord of Lords. And we have an honor to come before you to open up your word and hear from you. We want to encounter you today. We want to give you glory and honor and praise. For you are a good God. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let's go back to Luke chapter 15 with the grumbling of the insiders about the fact that Jesus is sharing the table with the outsiders. Jesus told them this parable in verse 4 of chapter 15. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. A shepherd with 100 sheep is a modest-sized flock. Flocks often had up to 200 sheep. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? Yeah, I probably wouldn't. I don't think I would. I mean, I got 99 sheep right here. One poses to be a problem. I'm just going to let it go. 
But this parable pictures God as pursuing the lost and wayward sinner outside. And when he finds it, he is thrilled and places it on his shoulders, like those pictures you've seen, probably, of the very Swedish-looking Jesus, very heartwarming and tender with the gentle lamb on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I've found my lost sheep. When what was lost is finally found, it's right to rejoice. It's right to rejoice because this lost sheep was found. But this isn't about sheep, is it? This is a parable. So let's interpret it. The shepherd here represents God, while the sheep represents a lost sinner, lost outside. Well, how do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. Verse 7. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. When what was lost is finally found, it's right to rejoice. This lost sheep, this lost sinner is lost outside, outside of the pasture, outside of the church. This parable teaches us that you can be lost outside, wayward and wandering, like a tax collector, like a sinner. This is like the wealthy businessman who, who proclaims, I can do all things through me, who strengthens me. Or this is the poor single mother who's giving up on God because of the hardship she's experienced in life. She gives up on God, gives up on the church and all them hypocritical Christian folks. Being lost outside might be something intentional. Forget you, God. I'm done with the church. I'm never setting foot there again. Christian people bunch of hypocrites. Being lost outside might be something unintentional, like you're lost in the dark without realizing that you're lost or in the dark. Being lost outside might be something like living in Greytown. Greytown, the place where all the streets are painted gray. Gray-colored cars, trucks, and SUVs roll to a momentary standstill at a gray octagonal sign with the letters S-T-O-P painted in gray. Caddy corner to this gray intersection, there's a, a gray-colored fire hydrant where shaggy gray dogs lick, lift their legs. All of this transpires in front of gray track houses that are painted gray on the roofs, doors, windows, and lawns. Inside of each of these gray homes, there's a gray house cat who lounges on a gray-colored couch. 
And this house cat sheds its gray-colored hairs on gray blouses and t-shirts and dresses, worn by gray people who live rather colorless lives in Graytown. Being lost outside, outside the church, might be something like living in Graytown. Where's the color? Where's the joy? Where's the hope? Where's the purpose? Where's the meaning? Why all the shallow lives? Why all the shallow relationships? Why all the consumerism? Why all the materialism? Why all the fear? Why why all the searching and wandering, trying to fill an endless void? Nobody's content. Everybody's lost in gray. But when what was lost is finally found, it's right to rejoice. It's right to rejoice because when what was lost is finally found, color floods into gray town, splattering our lives with hope and joy and, and purpose and meaning, all because of God. God seeks out and saves the lost. He goes the distance to find us. And when what was lost is finally found, it's right to rejoice. Jesus continues with another parable in verse 8. Or what woman, if she owns ten silver coins and loses one of them? This silver coin is called a drachma. It's equivalent to about a, a day's wage for the average laborer. Won't she light a lamp, or better yet, a megawatt high-beam searchlight and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it? Yeah, I probably wouldn't. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a day's wage. That's something valuable. But I've got nine other coins right here. I don't know if I really need to search. If, if it's a snake on the loose in the house, I'm definitely tearing apart the place. But a coin... I don't know, but this parable pictures God pursuing the lost sinner inside. The text continues in verse 9. When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Celebrate with me because I've found my lost coin. When what was lost is finally found, it's right to rejoice. It's right to rejoice because this lost coin... Finally found. But this isn't about coins, is it? This is a parable, right? So let's interpret it. This woman represents God. While this coin represents a lost sinner. Lost inside. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. When what was lost is finally found, it's right to rejoice. This lost coin, this lost sinner was lost inside, inside the house, inside the church. This parable teaches us that you can be lost, wayward, and wandering inside. This is the Pharisee. 
This is the legal expert. This is the children's volunteer. You know, the, I've never missed a Sunday ever. And so someone should name a book of the Bible after me type of person. This is the church leader who puts on a mask every Sunday. I'm always smiling. Life is great. Even though in reality, he's really suffering inside, really struggling. And his relationship with God is rather non-existent. Being lost inside the house, inside the church, is a dangerous thing. It's dangerous to you and it's dangerous to everyone inside the house. Being lost inside the house, inside the church, is like a dangerous serpent on the loose. The serpent slithers around like a, an egotistical, judgmental, prideful pastor. He chokes people out with his serpentine self-righteousness. Or the snake coils around the necks of unbeknownst church folk. Like a setup volunteer who's hurting so bad but doesn't want anybody to know. That behavior is deceitful and it's dishonest and it's dangerously, dangerously poisonous. You know, you may be here today raising your hands in worship, nodding your head at some of the things that are being said, Maybe you even shout out an amen or hallelujah. But your heart's not in it. Your heart's actually pretty far away. And all of this is just a sham. The truth is you're hurting inside. And your life is miserable. And maybe you've got every one of us convinced that your life is awesome, that things are great. But you know deep down, and you know that God knows, you're lost. You're lost inside. How's your relationship with God? Maybe you're the wrong person to ask. Maybe we should ask those around you, perhaps to get a better gauge of the truth. How's your relationship with God? Maybe we should ask your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your boss, your kids. How's your relationship with God? What would they say? How's your relationship with God? Maybe we should... Check your internet browser history. Maybe we should check the, the TV shows you watch, the music you listen to, the things you post on social media. How's your relationship with God? Or maybe we should check the, the spots where you frequent, where you spend your money, where you spend your time, and how you act in those places. What does that say about your relationship with God? 
Do the actions you take and the decisions that you make bring you closer to or further from God? That's a question I have to ask myself all the time. Does this decision bring me closer to God or further from God? Does this action bring me closer to God or further from God? You know, I've been a lost coin in the house. And I know that that my own self-righteous criticism, it sets me rolling like a coin on its edge to a, a dark and cluttered corner of the house. Where I'm lost. Absolutely lost. But thanks be to God. That he turns on a lamp, or better yet, a megawatt high beam searchlight and sweeps through the house until I'm found. But what do I do when I'm found? What can I do except to change my heart and my life? That's called repentance. These two parables that we've explored today are very simple and very clear. One's about being lost outside, wayward and wandering. The other's about being lost inside, wayward and wandering. But the beauty of it all is that both parables teach us about a God who relentlessly pursues us until we are found. And that is amazing. So wherever you're at today, whether you're lost outside, Or whether you're lost inside here today, I need you to know that you are not too far for God to reach. That you are not too guilty for God to forgive. That you are not too worthless for God to love. Whether you're a Pharisee, whether you're a tax collector, whether you're a legal expert... Whether you're a sinner, you and I are found in God. I want to welcome the band back up as we close things up today. It was a cold and rainy, dark night in England many, many years ago. A group of young, small children slipped into the back of a church to get warm. And there at the front of the church, the pastor, he was preaching on Luke chapter 15, verse 2. He was reading from the King James Version of the Bible, which read, This man, referring to Jesus, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And one of these young girls, an eight-year-old, she went up to the pastor after the service and said, Excuse me, sir, I didn't know that my name is in the Bible. He said, well, what's your name? She looked up at him through a jack-o'-lantern smile, her face beaming, and, and she said, My name is Edith. He said, 
I'm sorry, Edith, your, your name's actually not in the Bible. To which she protested, yes, it is. I just heard you read it. You said, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. <laughs> While Edith misunderstood the text completely, she applied the truth to her heart. Wherever you're at today, if you feel far from God, feel like you're just lost in life, Outside, inside, both, everywhere, you just feel lost. It's time to come back home. It's time to come back to God. I want you to put your name in there. If you need that forgiveness, God, I, I have messed up. I confess and I repent. I want to change my heart and I want to change my life. I want to come back home to you, God. I want to be found by you, God. Put your name in there. This man, Jesus, he receives sinners and Jeremy with him. That's the truth. Because God came to the earth in our shape, in our form to save us point us back so we no longer have to be lost. So we don't have to be living in Greytown. We can live true reality here and now. That God brings so much truth and joy and purpose and meaning to our lives where we don't have to be lost. We can lay down all of the burdens and all of the the disagreements and the criticisms and, and just be loved by God. We can love others in the same way. You know the feeling you have when you've lost something. Maybe it's something valuable. You're searching everywhere. You're, you're going throughout the house, through your car, through, through, through everything. And you just can't find it. And you've got this, this aching, this burning in your heart. Why can't I find this? Where could it be? I, I wonder if that's what... God is experiencing as we just run wild and reckless inside the church or outside the church. But in God, we're found. That's the beauty of it. When when we're found, when we find that item, when we find that thing that has been gone so long, such great joy and jubilation comes. But when what was lost finally found its right to rejoice. And I know that God rejoices when we turn our hearts to him. That you may be wandering and going crazy, living a reckless life, but in God we we are found and we come to him. And our lives change as we pursue him as he has pursued us. That's the gospel. That's the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. There's nothing in our lives that we can do to make ourselves better or worthy or righteous except to lay down our lives, to change our hearts and say, here I am, take me. All of my junk, all of my sin, all of the things that I've done wrong, it is nailed to the cross. 
In Jesus. And Jesus took it all. So how can I continue to live a life where I'm just lost? When I'm found. Friends, let's live for God. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. We adore you. We praise you. We exclaim that you are good and you are worthy, deserving of all praise and all honor. And I am confused, God. I don't understand. I cannot comprehend. I'm at a loss for words. For why have you come to save us? Why have you come to bring us back to God, to reconcile us? You could have started all over, just scrapped the whole thing. But in your great love, in your grace, in your mercy, you have saved us. And so we say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. For I once was lost, but now I am found. I was blind, but now I can see. And I see the beauty that you're doing in our lives and in our community, God. But I also see the lives of people who struggle. Who are living a double life. And who need to get right with you, God. So help us to come confess. To fall on our knees before you, God. I pray that if anyone in here wants to accept you, Jesus, for the first time, that they would repeat after me, Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you forgive me of my sin? For I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the grave. You defeated death once and for all. So come into my life. Be my King of kings, my Lord of lords. May I live for you all the days of my life. We thank you, Lord. We praise you. We adore you. For once was lost, we were. But now we are found in you.